on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This is an Irish Independent podcast. Today's episode of the Indo Daily comes to you from our sister podcast, The Big Tech Show. Enjoy. The BlackBerry was problematic when Steve Jobs and the iPhone came along. Steve Jobs wanted to bring the full internet into people's hands. So BlackBerry had a device that was perfectly built to send messages. And then, of course, BBM came along, which was super popular, was the forerunner of WhatsApp. But with a great downturn in 2008, 2009, companies were trying to cut costs. Instead of assigning Blackberries from the mothership to all of their employees, they said, well, you can bring in any device you want and we'll just hook it into our network. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler. Now, remember BlackBerry? They once defined smartphones. and was probably the first real smartphone that many of us had in our lives. Then they disappeared almost overnight. Not surprisingly, there have been some books and movies uh, on the topic. And one of the best ones, Losing the Signal, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of BlackBerry, has just been made into a movie which is in cinemas right now, called BlackBrain. I'm delighted to say that the co-author of the book, who's a technology reporter with the Globe and Mail in Canada, uh, Sean Silkoff, joins me today. Sean, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Adrian. Well, let's start at the beginning. BlackBerry was a, just a small company that started above a bagel shop. It did. It's, uh, it's hard to think that, uh, and not just any old bagel shop, but a bagel shop in sort of a forgotten corner of Southern... Ontario. This is not a, a tech capital by any means. This was a sort of a, a dated industrial space. Uh, right now, of course, Waterloo uh, is is one of the the technological hearts of Canada, and, and a lot of that is is due to BlackBerry. And it starts with these um, uh, a group of people around uh, Mike Lazaridis, who's this uh, young genius, um, and he had been told by a high school teacher that uh, the person, never mind computers, the person who combines computers and wireless technology is going to create something special. And um, so they were trying to do that in uh, in Waterloo in the late 80s, mid-80s, late 80s, early 90s. And they were sort of having somewhat success. Uh, and then Jim Balsillie came along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think for most people, our consciousness of BlackBerry was really in the 2000s, early 2000s onwards. But in 1999, the late 90s, I think, they really launched with pagers, didn't they? Well, yeah, they, they, it's funny. They developed a way to uh, communicate uh, wirelessly with uh, email. And this is at a time where uh, all the telco companies are all into two-way paging. 
And because of the limitations of other people's technology, you were sort of limited to these canned paging, paging messages that you could send back and forth. And their message was to, to the telcos, well, we, you can actually deliver email, like full email. And the, and the carriers weren't actually that interested. Everyone was focused on, on paging, but they could see the explosion of email. They had been email users for a long time. Emails actually had been around since the, uh, since the seventies. And this was the moment. This was the moment that Hotmail was coming on the scene, that uh, the internet was exploding, and they could see that people would want uh, the full capacity to communicate via uh, via full email. So that's what they sold. And when the carriers that they partnered with only wanted paging, they said, well, how about you uh, rent us a little bit of your unused space on your data network, and we'll just do this email thing on our, on our own. And the carrier said, sure, um, give us five million bucks and that'll be it. <laughs> they didn't, the carriers didn't realize that they were sort of handing the keys to, to BlackBerry because this thing really took off. And meanwhile, two-way paging um, sort of died very quickly thereafter. And I suppose at its height, BlackBerry, I think it had 80 to 90 million subscribers. Um, what were those years like um, to, to be a BlackBerry owner, to work for the company around that ecosystem? Well, BlackBerry really was sort of the uh, the technological uh, status symbol of the uh, of the early to mid two thousands. Uh, I, I remember I was uh, a young journalist in the late nineties, early two thousands, and my friends who had gone to work in the corporate world had their Palm Pilots, and they would proudly show you their Palm Pilot. It was this expensive piece of technology they had access to. And then a year or two later, they weren't talking about Palm Pilots, they were talking about Blackberries. And these these devices really freed people for the first time from their desks to be able to communicate uh, in a way that we take for granted today. But, you know, in the, in the year 2000, 2001, it's kind of a big deal to be able to send a message from, uh, you know, from a football match or from a, a taxi or when you're in line in the airport. It's seen as... Uh, a way to to get work done uh to deal with uh to deal with the 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 barrage of things you need to do in the work world it's it's the thing that busy important people use because their time is valuable and that's kind of mm. the it's kind of the message it's kind of the i guess that's a bit of the aura around blackberry and they really very successfully uh geared this toward the corporate world in fact that's how they they came into europe all of their clients in america like general electric and large fortune 500 companies were asking you know can our european uh colleagues our european employees have this too it was a productivity tool it was a messaging tool and that's that that's really where they uh, th- that's that was really their wedge for international growth. And of course, in here in Europe, Nokia was the king. I mean, it was pretty big in North America as well. But Nokia absolutely ruled the roost. And for a while there, it looked like there was almost a duopoly that was pretty much impregnable in the Western world. BlackBerry for email, Nokia for pretty much um, everything else. Was there any sense of pride as a Canadian? in the company at that time. We, we'll, we'll come on to its downfall later, but at that moment, because I talked to Finns about Nokia, for example, and they're still proud of what Nokia did. Right. And actually, Nokia was part of a, what BlackBerry referred to as the men's club, uh, Motorola, Ericsson, Nokia, and uh, I think Samsung. They, they, really, they really ruled the game. Um, oh, absolutely. Canadian pride. I mean, 
Historically in Canada, we have like one tech company at a time that's a big deal. Uh, it was Nortel in the 1990s when the internet was getting built out. It was uh, Research in Motion, uh, which is the earlier name of BlackBerry in the in the 2000s. And, and now it's Shopify. Uh, there are many other tech companies, but there's always one dominant name. And for sure, they were uh, they were very uh, very proud Canadians. Uh, in fact, Jim Balsley, when Canada won um, hockey at the Olympics uh, one year, there's this uh, iconic image here of uh, of uh, our the team captain uh, skating around with a Canada flag. Jim Balsley actually threw the flag over the over uh, the 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 uh the glass to him and, and they were very proud of, of being from waterloo if people would call from silicon valley or new york and say well we'd like to meet with you jim would say that's fine when are you going to be in waterloo next hmm. and he was uh you know they weren't going to go down to san francisco or new york they had to the other people had to fly from wherever they were to toronto and then take that drive out to waterloo in order to to meet with the people at BlackBerry. So they wanted the world to know that they were this was a Canadian company. Thank you very much. Okay, so we're in the best of times right there. What happened? A lot of things. Uh, of course, this is where I get to plug my book and say it, it's all there. Um, but uh, there were a number of things that happened. You see, the BlackBerry was... Um, the device itself was problematic when Steve Jobs and the iPhone came along because really the BlackBerry was a very efficient, uh, machine that was little more than a, than a digitized version of a radio with two way communications. So it was built to handle messaging. It was not, uh, purpose built for internet communications, like the full internet. Um, there were some problems with going to the full internet on a device. It would, uh, drain out batteries. It would clog up the networks. And the BlackBerry people were worried that uh, it wasn't very secure. Also, you know, it had a keyboard and the, and the iPhone didn't. And the amazing thing is all those things uh, were indeed problematic about the iPhone. Um, AT&T, which was the first carrier to have it in America, uh, ran into major uh, major network problems because of all the traffic. Uh, the batteries, the first iPhone batteries lasted about four hours before you needed to plug them in, whereas the first BlackBerry lasted uh, four weeks, believe it or not, on a single AA battery. So they had a device that was perfectly built. BlackBerry had a device that was perfectly built to send messages. And then, of course, BBM came along, which was super popular, was the forerunner of WhatsApp. And again, all you needed to do was type for those things, whereas Steve Jobs wanted to bring the full internet into people's hands. Uh, the BlackBerry people solved the problems with that. But, you know, when you change as a tech company, when you change a paradigm, um, you are definitely swimming upstream. BlackBerry had done that uh, 10 years earlier with a BlackBerry, and then Apple did that with uh, with the iPhone. And once people had the full internet in their hands, Steve Jobs felt that they weren't going to want to go back, and, and he was right. And then Google came along with uh, its uh, Android. And um, the Android actually, uh, people didn't realize this, and we sort of really get into this in our book, the Android probably had much more damaging impact on uh, on BlackBerry than Apple. Apple, Apple kind of came along and it, it grabbed a lot of the consumer market. BlackBerry was, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, you know, we still have the business users. And also people love using BBM and our, our phones are selling like hotcakes all around the world. Uh, what Android did was instead of Google building their own phones, they handed that operating system out for free to handset makers around the world. Jim Balsley referred to it, the co-CEO, as um, 400, suddenly 400 handset makers uh, having, a, having a business plan just handed to them. And the other thing that Google did that was very clever was when they got an app store, 
they said to the, the telephone companies, you know what, the 30% of app sales that we get, um, the, the money, here, you can have it. Here's some free money. So that instantly incentivizes all of the carriers to start pushing Android phones instead of BlackBerry phones. And a final key thing that happened uh, technologically um, and in the market is that with a great downturn in 2008, 2009, companies were trying to cut costs. And so instead of, uh, instead of assigning Blackberries from the mothership to all of their employees, they said, well, you can bring in any device you want and we'll just hook it into our network. Uh, and, People at home weren't buying Blackberries. They were buying Apple and Android devices. So those things combined really uh, created a major problem that Blackberry was not prepared for. They didn't didn't have a whole computerized operating system underneath the Blackberry. As I said, it was sort of a glorified radio that did one thing really, really well, which was messaging. And it took BlackBerry a full six years, um, a variety of reasons why it took so long. Again, we, we go into that in our book. Six years for them to come up with a proper, true competitive response, a full computerized operating system called BB10. Technology, you do not have six years for a competitive response. And by then it was too late. The The tide had turned and, uh, and, and they just couldn't uh, get back in the game. Now, there was a movie made of based on your book, uh, the book that you co-authored. Have you seen it? I've seen it uh, six times now. Six times. Okay, you went with all the family. Um, what did you think? Uh, it's uh, As a movie, it's extremely entertaining. Um, as corporate history, it's uh, about as faithful as uh, most adaptations are for the movies, which is to say that they've created an entertaining product that uh, I hope inspires people to read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to find out the true story. Uh, but it's certainly a very entertaining film. And uh, and I'm pleased for the filmmakers to see that the audiences have, and critics have really, really quite enjoyed it universally. As someone who co-authored the book, what is it like seeing um, a, a film movie based on your book? And, and what are your feelings when you see what makes it into the movie as opposed to what you had to actually put into the book? Uh, it's surreal. I, I saw it for the first time, just adding to the surreality of the situation uh, at Berlin. It, it premiered at the Berlin Owl. So I was in a in a, a room. I walked a red carpet with 2000 people or so. I was sitting on a line with all the, the VIPs and people involved with the movie. And while I was watching the movie uh, the whole time, this was my first viewing of the movie. Um, I, I was... Um, it, it was It was difficult to watch because I had a hard time mapping... What I was seeing on screen to what I was to the story that I know well. Typical adaptations will do a number of things. They will create composite characters. They will play around with dates uh, and times. They will um, incredibly simplify things to tell a story effectively for the visual medium, um, and and they'll create dialogue and and characters and move things around. And also, there's whole parts of the story that they won't tell. Mm. And this is what you need to do to make a movie. Um, uh, you know, real life is complicated. Real life doesn't necessarily lend itself to, uh, to, to the big screen in a way that will keep an audience in their seat for two hours. And so mm. the first time I viewed it, I sort of walked out in a bit of a fog trying to, trying to make sense of it. Um, I knew it was a good movie. I, like I knew it was a movie and it's, especially if you just walked in and you didn't know the story and you walked out two hours later, you'd say that that was a good film, but I really had to process it and think about it for a few days and then, and then see it a couple of more times, uh, to be honest, uh, but that's just me as the author. And sure. I think that's, uh, I, I think any author would feel that. I think, uh, uh, Ron Chernow probably felt that the first time he saw Hamilton, which is 
probably one of the best Broadway plays of all time. I, I've read his book. I've seen the play. And uh, it's like one is from Mars and one is from Venus. They're both brilliant works in their mediums. They both speak to, to larger truths and, 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 and get to some interesting universal themes, but they are, uh, they are acclaimed works that live, uh, live on their own in their own mediums. And I think I, I, I ultimately that's where I came to with the, uh, with the Blackberry movie. And, and I, I enjoy it as a film, although, um, uh, of course it, it doesn't stick to the, to the source, source material in, in a lot of ways. And it doesn't tell a large part of the story. Um, but then that just enables me to say, well, that's great. If you find that story interesting, I, th- I think you would find the book interesting. So absolutely go, go buy the book, go buy the book. Um, lastly, we think of, you know, the iPhone and Android now as being impregnable, particularly the iPhone. Do you think there's any chance that what happened to BlackBerry and maybe even to Nokia could happen to the iPhone or to Android? I think that uh, is, and, and it's so interesting because this year with uh, the arrival of ChatGPT uh, and, and the impact that's having on the technology world, I, I think the, the movie and the book are actually very timely reminders that you can never, ever take um, any kind of lead uh, for granted in the technology world. Uh, as we say in the, at the end of the book, winners and losers in the technology race uh, change places all the time and there's no finish line. So, you know, maybe from the vantage point of uh, October 2023, we can't necessarily see Apple losing its perch or or Android, Google losing their perch. But never say never. I mean, look at the dominant technology companies from uh, or companies, period, from from past decades. Some of them don't exist anymore. Uh, some of them seemed like uh, they could never uh, lose their perch and their their names are lost to history. So, except IBM, for some reason, IBM still exists. I still can't tell you what IBM does <laughs> after twenty years as a tech journalist. Well, it still exists, but it's I mean, it's a shadow of its former self, and right. it's a different company. IBM used to be the dominant name in tech. It was mm-hmm. much more dominant relative to the tech sector than Apple and Google combined. So that's that should give everyone food for thought. I think. Potentially apocryphal tale. The book, again, is called Losing the Signal, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of Blackberry. And I've been talking to Sean Silkoff, who is the co-author of that book. Sean, thank you very much for for joining us today. Uh, Thank you also to JJ Clark, who produced Colin Doherty on video and Gav Hennessy on sound. I'm Adrian Weckler, and you've been watching or listening to The Big Tech Show. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eurot the end of Chacht Erechor. Agus Suligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Pashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Egornamion, and Kestin Echo. We in Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.